0: There's so much health advice floating around, online, among friends. But who can you really trust? Trust the experts. Listen to the world's brightest medical minds, our very own Cleveland Clinic experts. We ask them real questions, tough and intimate health questions, and we get real answers, all originally recorded live. Hi, and thank you for joining us. I'm your host, Nada Youssef, and you're listening to Health Essentials Podcast by Cleveland Clinic. Today, we're broadcasting from Cleveland Clinic main campus here in Cleveland, Ohio. And today, we'll be chatting about the different sleep disorders and how to identify them. And our sleep expert today is an acknowledged leader in the field. She's the director of the Sleep Disorders Center here at Cleveland Clinic, Dr. Nancy foldberry Schaefer. Happy to have you. Thank you. And before we get started, please remember this is for informational purposes only, and it's not intended to replace your own physician's advice. So before we jump into the topic, I'm going to go ahead and ask you some questions um, just so the audience and I can get to know you better. Okay. So first of all, food. What is your favorite food? Pizza. Pizza.
1: I love all kinds of pizza. What's your I favorite d- topping? Um, probably sausage. Just sausage. plain old Not cauliflower crust. You're no, talking about like a pizza. I'm talking about a real, real okay. Chicago style pizza.
0: Cuts. Okay. And since we're talking about sleep, <laughs> when is your bedtime and what do you do to fall asleep? Uh, well, my bedtime's
1: probably around 10 o'clock. Wow, And I um, read in okay. bed and I read books, like real books. Actual you know? books. Yeah, yeah. yeah. To it no electronics. Yeah. yeah. So I keep electronics out of the bed, bedroom for about an hour before I go to bed because the light, you know, keeps you awake at night. Yeah. And I read just old fashioned things like classic novels and, you know, fun stuff that I don't get to read at work.
0: OK, girl. Well, what's your favorite book? That was my next question.
1: <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, Do you have a favorite? I love Jane Eyre. I've read that many, many times, okay. um, and I've, read, I've, I've like read a lot of the old classics, you know, Dickinson of and, yeah, and Hemingway and stuff like that. Okay, good. Know? Great.
0: Yeah. Well, going back to sleep. So changes in sleep patterns or habits can negatively affect our health big time, and I think right. a lot of people underestimate that. So I want to talk about it, because it could be sleep deprivations can cause car accidents, relationship troubles, job performance, all kinds of stuff. So before anything, I wanna talk about what is considered a sleep disorder. Sleep
1: disorders, actually sleep experts will call these sleep and wake disorders because these are a collection of disorders that either are associated with some type of abnormality in sleep um, or an inability to maintain wakefulness. So for example, in sleep apnea, which is a very common sleep disorder, um, there's repeated episodes of inability to breathe during sleep. And so that leads to fragmentation of sleep and therefore people don't get into deep sleep. On the other hand, a wake disorder like narcolepsy is a disorder where nighttime sleep is a little bit more normal. There's uh-huh. no problem breathing, but there's a difficulty maintaining wakefulness. So there's a huge spectrum of these disorders. Of
0: these sleep disorders. So, okay. So what happens to your body when you're not getting enough sleep, when you have a sleep disorder, what is physically happening to our brains, to our bodies?
1: Yeah, so that's a great question. And to kind of flip it backwards, I like to start by just talking about the function of sleep. Yeah. So, you know, for centuries, people didn't really understand the function of sleep until in uh, the 1920s, for the first time, a scientist recorded brainwaves. Mm. And we began to learn that sleep is not the passive process, you know, like Dracula laying in a coffin uh, that mankind thought it was for years. Sleep is actually an active process. And there are different stages of sleep, and they function to restore the brain and every cell in our bodies differently. So during sleep, every cell in our body is repairing. Mm -hmm. Our body is clearing toxins from it um, so that we can function optimally the next day. And so when we don't get sleep... Uh, chronic sleep disorder, chronic sleep deficiency, or sleep deprivation, therefore, is associated with a host of medical disorders that have um, a common theme of uh, inflammation, mm-hmm. diabetes, heart disease, stroke, things like that,
0: from uh, lack of sleep. From
1: lack of sleep and dysfunction of immunity, for example, mm-hmm. because again, sleep functions by repairing the body. Um, now, dementing disorders and cognitive impairment has been associated with inadequate sleep. Can and you
0: explain that? Is that like Alzheimer's? Or? It
1: is Alzheimer's. Okay. So, so very recent, in the last five to 10 years, there's been a lot of effort, research, um, dedicated mm-hmm. time uh, invested in this area. And what we're learning is that people with dementing disorders, like Alzheimer's, have very abnormal sleep uh, and circadian rhythms. And it may be that you can even predict who's gonna have a neurodegenerative problem based on an earlier presentation of sleep disruption. Uh, The classic example of this is REM sleep behavior disorder, which is a parasomnia disorder where people during REM sleep lack the normal muscle paralysis of REM sleep so they can act out very vivid dreams, which can lead to serious sleep-related injuries. And this has been discovered now going back over a decade ago to be a precursor to neurodegeneration, not Alzheimer's, but Parkinson's disease and the neurological disorders that are that are close to Parkinson's disease. So just identifying a sleep disorder turns out to be something that can be very predictive of something serious.
0: Sure. So a lot of us think, you know, a lot of us feel like we don't always sleep well. You know, I was tossing and turning last night. It's just like a one thing thing that happens. Nervous about today? I'm not really sure. I was like, why am I not sleeping? But here's my question. What is a healthy pattern? What is healthy sleep? How many hours? Especially what ages? Because ages are different, right? Yeah. So it
1: varies. It varies by age. I mean, babies, when they're born, sleep 50% of their hours. And then rapidly during early development, uh, wake time becomes, you know, longer and sleep time shortens. Um, the average adult should be sleeping 7 to 9 hours. Okay. Uh, older adults, you know, over 60, 65, 7 to 8 hours. Okay. Um, and uh, teens in the 9 to 10, 11 hour range. And then littler ones even longer. Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, the average teenager going to school is doing sports and stuff is sleeping 6 and a half, 7 hours. Wow. Uh, they're, they're really sleep deprived. And sleep deprivation in that age leads to learning problems you know when you're when you're sleep deprived your brain is not working properly attention is impaired memory is impaired Uh, and there are studies uh showing that it's more it's better on test scores if you sleep the night before instead of pulling an all-nighter studying yeah because when you're sleep deprived you know during sleep our brains lay down the memory yeah. of what we read the night before. Yeah. Sometimes and so you, I wake
0: you, up and I remember something that I was completely forgetting the night before and I was trying to remember, but I yeah, it's like that's sleeping like it yeah. regenerated my brain. <laughs> sleep
1: literally lays, during sleep literally our brains, the memory circuit of our brains, mm-hmm. work to lay down the memory wow. and embed it in our brains as real memory. Uh, and so um, this is one of the areas that we can be doing a lot more in in terms of public awareness and public health, uh, educating students and young people about how critically important it is to sleep in order to succeed in school.
0: Good, and maybe moms, because I have two little kids, five and eight, and I have to put them to bed by 8 o'clock, and I wake them up at 6 a.m., but it's very hard to put two kids to bed in the same room, and it happens, you know, electronics, you got TV, you got so much going on. Yes. So, um, yeah, so sleep deprivation is um, very important because... It also impairs alertness, you're, you're just being awake, your judgments. I mean, there's a lot of things that it does when you're awake, just like you mentioned. Right. So I've read about a study that driving while sleep-deprived is more dangerous than driving after a few drinks. Is that yeah, true? So
1: there's, some, there's a long body of literature on this and some very early studies that showed that, that being awake for sustained number of hours, 17 or 18 hours, which is most of us, like yeah. in the evening, right? right? If we're getting up at five and six o'clock in the morning, um, that we, we, that people who are awake that long perform about the same mm-hmm. on cognitive tests as if you were legally intoxicated. Wow. Uh, and so it's dangerous driving. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, you know now um, this is a very common uh, thing to be concerned about in the transportation industry. Uh, there are lots of regulations now for um, pilots and uh, railroad drivers right. and truck you know drivers. Tr- truck drivers yeah. about the need to have rest periods in between mm-hmm. shifts uh, because of the high rate of sleepiness and fatigue causing accidents right
0: right okay, and then I also read uh, that it kills sex drive Is-
1: yeah, so okay. this probably relates to the fact that um, that sleep disorders lead to inflammatory mm-hmm. uh, conditions um, in the brain that lead to vascular disease that can affect all our everything. organ systems right, you right. know so a lot of it, health
0: issues will come up absolutely out from this. Mm-hmm. okay so you always hear about get your beauty sleep and then i read that it does really age your skin if you're sleep deprived yes. Is that also true that's true
1: too there's so much less less literature on that but yeah, that that's absolutely okay. true again because when we're sleeping our cells are repairing right. you know dead dead cells are um, getting cleared from the system. Toxins are getting cleared from our body. Right, right. Um, there was a study a few years ago that was really pivotal in the neurosciences that demonstrated that when mice slept, that's when their brains cleared neurotoxins that otherwise would build up and cause Alzheimer's disease. So the idea is that sleep is, is really an active process. So, so it's not elective. It's not yeah. something that we do just because we're, it's, you know, there's nothing else to do today yeah, kind of thing.
0: So you were mentioning, like, testing brainwaves. And Mm -hmm. brainwaves, is it true that it's most active when you're sleeping?
1: So during stages of sleep, our brainwaves are actually very active. And in REM sleep, when we dream, Mm -hmm. our brainwaves look a whole lot like when we're awake.
0: Wow. Wow. Yeah. Fascinating. Some mystical stuff. All right, so let's talk about some sleep disorders. Okay. Um, First of all, what common symptoms are related to sleep disorders?
1: Uh, Well, probably the most common ones are our difficulty falling asleep, staying asleep, so nighttime awakenings, okay. uh, and then on the flip side, not feeling refreshed in the morning or okay. feeling fatigued during the day or right. sleepy during the day. Okay, so, we're
0: looking at both awake and sleep. Yes. Something like insomnia could that be something that is related to poor sleep hygiene, like eating before you go to bed or the iPad or just like yeah, yeah, yeah. So, there's a sleep
1: disorder that we just simply call poor sleep hygiene, oh. and these are these are. Um, these are seen in people who sort of adopt bad sleep habits, Mm -hmm. and therefore it leads to secondary sleep impairment. Um, So yeah, like having bright electronics in the room at night, having a bedroom that's just not conducive to sleep, uh, drinking coffee and alcohol at night, which disrupts sleep. Um, But people with insomnia also um, have difficulty, it's defined by difficulty initiating and maintaining sleep. And some of those folks will have very good sleep hygiene and do all the right things, but they still have an insomnia disorder. That's sort of a mystery, but we believe there are probably inheritable tendencies for that. Mm -hmm. Uh, And there may be, uh, there are associated medical and neurological and psychiatric conditions Mm -hmm. that can uh, lead to insomnia and perpetuate insomnia. The classic one being mental health disorders. Okay. So it's like sometimes it's like the chicken and the egg. Yeah. You have a depressed patient who can't sleep, um, and it's hard to know which is exacerbating the other, and the truth is that it's probably bi-directional. And so when, when you treat depression disorders with medications, some people have improvements in their sleep, but conversely, if you treat insomnia disorders in people with depression, their mood improves. I see. So so it's, it's uh, a vicious cycle. It is.
0: So something like PTSD, uh, Patients would have like a lot of nightmares. You're saying if you treat PTSD, their sleep will get better, which will make their PTSD. Is that what you mean? Or there are
1: ways to treat PTSD that, in fact, that that in turn improve uh, nighttime sleep. So, for example, there are um, psychotherapy okay. uh, um, mechanisms that um, are used in people with PTSD that allow people to work on their nightmares right. by sort of replaying the dream and changing the course of the dream.
0: Are you talking about like a VR thing? Yeah. Yeah, I read about that as well. And then in turn
1: there are people with uh, disorders like PTSD who have comorbid sleep disorders like sleep apnea. Mm -hmm. And simply treating the sleep apnea helps to keep them asleep, which can help prevent um, their sleep disruption and improve their mental health.
0: So when it comes with something like anxiety or depression, there are medications for these uh, diseases that can cause insomnia. Isn't that correct?
1: Yes. There are many medications that That can cause cause. insomnia. Yeah. And
0: there are actually some medications that are used
1: for anxiety and depression that can improve sleep as well. Okay. Um, And sometimes people with anxiety and depression who have severe insomnia need a sleeping pill aid, like oh, a sleeping okay. pill, on okay. top of like uh, any medication you might use for anxiety or depression.
0: Okay. And I'm going to go down to uh, sleep aids and treatments okay. in a bit, but I'm going to keep going through the okay. sleep disorders. Okay, Sleep apnea is huge. Um, first of all, who, what is sleep apnea and who gets sleep apnea? So sleep apnea is a, actually a generic
1: term for a number of different disorders, but the most common of those disorders is obstructive sleep apnea. Okay. And this is a disorder <coughs> where during sleep, the upper airway muscles um, are floppy, such that they lose their muscle tone, such that the airway becomes collapsible in sleep. And when the airway collapses on itself completely, it's called an apnea. Mm -hmm. And then what happens is that uh, when there's an apnea, oxygen levels go down, the heart rate will change, um, eventually the person's gonna wake up, um, and that's gonna lead to a lot of what we call autonomic instability, so instability of the heart rate and oxygen levels. Uh, and sleep fragmentation and so when that airway obstruction happens many times per night sometimes hundreds of times per night uh, That leads to a condition to where people aren't getting deep good sleep So they're not getting the benefits of good sleep and they're very sleepy during the day Mm -hmm. so the classic type of person with sleep apnea of that type is An overweight person with a larger neck Mm -hmm. men more than women But there's lots of interesting features about this Um, after menopause Women have the same rate of sleep apnea as men, regardless of how heavy their necks might be, uh, because female sex steroids have input to the upper airway. Uh-huh. So, when put in the postmenopausal state without estrogen and progesterone, sleep apnea becomes more prevalent. But sleep apnea of that obstructive type is also not uncommon in babies and kids. Wow. Um, it's just that it can be missed because, in the typical presentation, um, a middle-aged male comes in snoring, you know, making big sounds at night, choking in sleep and sleepy during the day. Uh, but postmenopausal women tend to not have that typical manifestation. They tend to be more tired, fatigued, um, may not snore that much, and so they can get misdiagnosed very easily as having a psychiatric condition when they really have sleep apnea. Similarly, the, ch- the pediatric presentation of sleep apnea may be snoring, but it's usually not big choking sounds and sleep and daytime sleepiness, it's often attention deficit disorders and behavioral disorders. So, and there's a body of literature that shows us that when you treat sleep apnea in children, you can reverse attention deficit disorder. Uh So really attention deficit in some children may simply be a manifestation of a misdiagnosed or undiagnosed sleep disorder
0: sleep disorder not sleep apnea. Sleep apnea, so being, sleep the apnea being the prime sleep apnea,
1: apnea being the prime. So
0: are you telling me that some people may have sleep apnea and not know it? You're not yes. waking up choking or gasping for air? Yes.
1: In fact, studies have, dem- have demonstrated that 80 to 85% of people in the US, an estimate, are with sleep apnea are undiagnosed.
0: Wow. So you're looking at the symptoms that you would get from it, like ADHD for children. So then you would do, like, a sleep test, or what would you do? You would do a sleep, sleep test. After you, after you
1: took a sleep history, if you were really I suspicious, see. looked in the airway, you might do a sleep study, oh, and you might then take the to- have the, that child have their tonsils removed because mm-hmm. tonsil or hypertrophy, big tonsils, is the main cause of Just sleep apnea in children. Yep. Oh, wow. Okay. And that may then reverse all the symptoms of oh. attention deficit disorder. There's many examples of this in the sleep literature, how... Um, I saw a patient the other day who had uh, what we call refractory hypertension, so on hypertension medicines, on multiple medications, and Mm -hmm. still hypertensive uh, with severe sleep apnea, who over time came off three out of four blood pressure medicines because we identified the sleep apnea, which was really um, exacerbating the condition, and treated it. And so he didn't need all that blood pressure medication.
0: Can it be fatal? Like, can you not wake up from, from the obstruction? Yeah, so,
1: so as humans, our anatomy and physiology is such that uh, when our oxygen levels drop really low, um, there is signals in the brain to wake us up. Yeah. Uh, but there are certainly situations, including some famous uh, people, like mm-hmm. Carrie Fisher. There was yeah. a question of whether she had sleep right. apnea. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so there are people who either die in their sleep or die suddenly. And the pathology uh, suggests that it might have been due or exacerbated sleep by apnea. sleep apnea. So there
0: are new implants out there, correct? For yes. Sleep
1: apnea? So there is an FDA approved implant from, that came out a couple years ago that's still gaining a lot of momentum. It's mm-hmm. called hypoglossal nerve stimulation. Okay. And the hypoglossal nerve is one of our cranial nerves. So it comes out of the brain stem in, and and innervates the tongue. Mm. And the some of the branches of this nerve allow the tongue to protrude sort of out of the mouth Mm -hmm. and so this stimulator is implanted like a pacemaker would be under the clavicle and there's a sensor that goes in between the two ribs Mm -hmm. in on the chest wall that senses an obstructive apnea and then will stimulate the nerve um, during sleep
0: That'll make and that will make the tongue move.
1: Make the tongue advance forward a little wow. bit, creating space in the back of the airway. Wow. So our center has done many of these now, and almost everybody that's had an implantation with this device has a significant improvement or complete resolution wow. of their obstructive sleep apnea. Amazing.
0: And we actually have a podcast uh, and a Facebook Live for our audience if they want to hear about more about adult sleep apnea. We have uh, another podcast uh, for that as well. Um, so Restless Leg Syndrome. Can you explain what that is? I mean, it sounds kind of to the point, Yeah. but why is that uh, a disorder?
1: Well, this is a disorder that um, has what we call a circadian pattern. So restless legs uh, is a condition where uh, people will get an irresistible need to move the legs at night. And being circadian, it tends to come up in the evening time, 7, 8, 9, 10 o'clock at night, that urge to move the legs is uh intense it is associated with um with movement so people need to move to make the symptom improve Mm -hmm. Uh, and it tends to happen at night and so it it tends to happen in bed and so people will get into bed and suddenly their legs start getting feeling irritated and they have to move many people will have to get out of bed and walk Um, once people fall asleep it can be associated with periodic movements of the limbs that we measure in the sleep laboratory during sleep tests And this can lead to difficulty falling asleep or difficulty maintaining sleep. And it's important because 15% of adults get restless legs. And it increases as we get older. And so many older people, we believe, who um, have sleep problems or just tend to be poor sleepers probably have restless legs. Very treatable condition almost all the time.
0: Oh, God. So you get an urge from both legs that they need to move, Mm -hmm. to get up and move. Mm -hmm. Um, Is there a reason? Is there certain uh, risk factors? Yes,
1: yes. So there are primary, there's primary restless legs, and there are many secondary causes of restless legs. And so, for example, restless legs is sort of um, classically seen in people with uh, kidney disease, um, in people, uh, in pregnant women, uh, in people with iron deficiency. And iron turns out to be part of the pathway in the brain that that leads to restless legs. Mm -hmm. So people with iron deficiency and who, who are low on an iron transport molecule that enhances dopamine in the brain tend to be um, prone to restless legs. And restless legs can be inherited. Uh, so it can run in families. Wow. And when it runs in families, it can present earlier and earlier. So there are young people in their teens and 20s that can present with restless legs too. And in its severest form, it's a horrible condition. Yeah. It, yeah. it, it really uh, it drives It sounds people. unusual that you yeah. feel
0: like you want to get up when you're, in, when yeah. you're sleeping. I mean, yeah. You can I mean,
1: imagine if you just want to stretch your legs and your legs are like strapped, you know, in bed yeah. or something and you can't move, but you just need to move. It's like that irritating, irresistible need to move.
0: Yeah. Okay. I'm going to jump to sleep paralysis because... I've had it a few times when I really? first had my kids, and I was exactly what you just said. I felt like I can't move, though. Yeah, You know, you yeah. just feel kind of still, like your brain's awake, your eye's a little bit awake, but everything's stuck. Yeah. So can you talk about sleep paralysis? Is there a demon in the room? What's happening? I read weird stuff about it.
1: <laughs> yeah, so there, there are people who have what we call isolated sleep paralysis, and these are probably normal people um, who occasionally will wake up abruptly out of REM sleep. And in REM sleep, our bodies are paralyzed. So the physiology of REM, REM sleep, dream sleep, is such that our brains are active. There tends to be a lot of dream imagery. But part of normal REM, which is a protective mechanism, is that the muscles are paralyzed. So we cannot act out dreams. Yeah. 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 And so in isolated sleep paralysis um, or sleep paralysis that can happen in people who are very sleep deprived. Yeah. Um, or maybe in the setting of alcohol ingestion, and you wake up suddenly during the night, and you're in REM. Um, your brain feels like you're awake, mm-hmm. uh, but you can't move. And it's usually a very terrifying experience. Yeah. And it usually feels uh, most people will describe a sense of suffocation because they actually feel like they can't fill their lungs with air. Yeah. And um, sometimes associated with it can be a hallucination, like if somebody's watching in the distance, or something's crawling like, on me, and a and feeling, yeah. yeah. yeah.
0: Okay, so with sleep paralysis, if uh, someone is going through it, how are you supposed to wake yourself up if you're in this terrifying state of, I want to freak out to wake up? So
1: if you're awake, it's a matter of really trying to stay calm. Okay. And most people with sleep paralysis, and this is actually mostly a narcolepsy patients who get sleep paralysis, will find that they slowly start to move muscles and intentionally move muscles. So they're laying there unable to move, but they'll often tell themselves, okay, I'm going to try to move my right thumb right now. You know, and sort of work through it. Um, and then now I can move my right hand and now I can move my right arm. And it does take a few minutes to resolve. Um, people with narcolepsy get sleep paralysis as part of their syndrome because people with narcolepsy have a, disor- have a dysfunction in the chemistry, mm-hmm. the neurochemistry of the brain, that doesn't allow them to maintain sleep or maintain wake. So they flip-flop a lot from, this, from lighter stages of sleep and wakefulness to REM and so as they're flipping a lot they can wake from rem and have the, and have something like sleep paralysis. Wow,
0: it sounds like a limbo state almost. Yes. You're not fully yes. awake, you're not fully asleep. Exactly. Let's talk about narcolepsy. Um, warning signs cuz I mean you get tired during the day, but are you're absolutely falling asleep during a drive, during work. What is narcolepsy?
1: Yeah, so narcolepsy can present in, in with a broad spectrum. Yeah. And so most people, when we see them in the clinic and we, and we tell them that we suspect narcolepsy, most are really surprised and they'll say, well, I don't just fall asleep in my food. Right. I don't just collapse. Yeah. Uh, very few people just abruptly collapse in their food or behind the wheel. Okay. Most people um, struggle to stay awake during the day. Uh, and... Um, And have difficulty functioning simply because they're so sleepy more than fatigued but very sleepy Uh, they take naps that are refreshing for short periods of time but not for long Um, and at night they tend to have very fragmented sleep they're not like you think the textbook person would be a deep sleeper and I person that craves sleep all the time and sleeps beautifully narcoleptic people actually have very dysfunctional sleep and they don't sleep solidly at night um, but they also, their brains crave REM sleep, and they, their brains want them to be in REM sleep during the day. Wow. And that's where, um, that's where some of the comorbidities come into play, mm-hmm. uh, because they have a high rate of accidents, they have trouble performing academically, they have trouble performing ocu- occupationally. Um, and uh, yet, because um, many people don't talk to their doctors about my trouble staying awake during the day and don't recognize that it could be a serious condition... Uh, most people uh, go for 10, 15 years without a diagnosis. Wow.
0: So I want to jump back to the naps. You talked about the nap really fast. Um, people with narcolepsy, are they taking long naps? Or you said short naps are kind of powerful. Mm-hmm. And what is a good nap? <laughs> yeah, so
1: short naps for narcolepsy, some narcolepsy patients are sleeping, you know, one, two, three hours during the day. But really, many of them will tell us that a 20, 30-minute nap is very refreshing. Yeah. Sometimes a five-minute nap can be very refreshing. Sure. Yes, yes, yes. So in general, napping's okay, but when we let ourselves nap longer, probably 20 minutes is a good cutoff. 20 minutes. When we let ourselves sleep longer, we risk going into deep delta sleep, slow wave sleep. And when we go into slow wave sleep um, during the day, we can wake up and have what's called sleep inertia, that groggy brain mm. where you, you wish you didn't nap because yes. you feel worse now. Yeah. Uh, And so for people who work and are in school and stuff, it's probably best to limit naps, like set a timer, and limit naps to 20 minutes so that one is not waking up from um, slow-wave sleep.
0: Okay. I want to go back to what you said about the textbook sleep cycle. Um, I've I've read that I don't even know how long ago the sleep cycle was, but was it completely cut up where people used to sleep at like nine or ten, wake up at one or two, maybe have something to eat, and go back to bed? Yeah. So it?
1: this is the two sleeps: the first sleep and the second sleep. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Is that, is that normal? Should we go back to that?
1: Well, <laughs> yeah, you know. So so there, this is fun. It's fun to think about this. Yeah. Um, so before the invention of the light bulb, you know, mm-hmm. um, people slept longer. So in America, adults slept probably nine hours on average before you know, the 24-7 world yeah. we live in now. Um, and historically, people used to have two sleeps, the right. first sleep, and then there'd be a period of activity, getting things done for a couple hours, and then the second sleep period. And so there, there are some um, insomnia uh, researchers and experts who really feel that some people with insomnia, we've sort of created this insomnia disorder by having this high expectation uh, that we're going to sleep eight hours, hours and we're going to be sound asleep for eight hours. Yeah. Um, So biologically, it might not be that we were really born to sleep that way. So we
0: should probably start work at like 10 or 11 because we won't be up by
1: Yes.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That makes sense. So let's go back to a little bit about oversleeping. Is oversleeping as bad as sleep deprived?
1: Probably not. There's much less literature and and, uh, research on oversleeping. Mm -hmm. Um, And so... Really, I think what we know is that chronically, chronic oversleepers—people who are sleeping nine, ten hours, eleven hours—tend um, to have medical issues and psychiatric issues. Okay. So, so chronic oversleeping is is not uncommon in people with significant mental health problems like depression or really chronic diseases. Um, so,
0: is nine hours for me oversleeping? Or are we talking about probably? Hours? We're talking
1: about over nine hours regularly over nine hours? because seven to nine hours would be considered normal. Okay. Now, having said That's that, our sleep needs are genetically wired, and so there are normal people who are genetically wired to be 10-hour sleepers. They function beautifully during the day, um, but but 10 hours is about what they need. That's probably 1% of the adult population, though. Okay. The vast majority of, of us as adults uh, probably need somewhere in the range of 7 to 9 hours. Okay. Um, s- oversleeping done... So oversleeping chronically seems to not be considered a good thing because it tends to be associated with... With other health conditions um, and shorter lifespan, mm-hmm. and it's probably because the short, the long sleeping just becomes a a lifestyle right. of right. having chronic conditions and perhaps being awake and exercising and being more mobile. Mm. You know, these are things that are associated with better quality of life and right. longer longe- longevity. Um, but sleeping, oversleeping, once in a while, like oversleeping on a Saturday, because. Uh, we get up? sleep depressed yeah there's there's some there's some um, there 's some literature suggesting that that 's okay and that 's probably good. Okay. Uh, the problem comes in if we oversleep every Saturday and every Sunday and then you can 't uh, get to sleep on Sunday night right. and so then you 're starting your week off poorly right. and so you I think it 's really important to just pay attention to that because we can never make up all the sleep we lose
0: but we can make up a little bit we might be able
1: to make up a little bit okay
0: so take your naps and sleep it on the weekends um, okay, I wanted to, do you deal with any uh Pediatric patients?
1: Well, we or do you in our parents? center. I okay. don't personally do pediatric, okay. um, but we do treat sleep, pediatric sleep disorders. I wanted to
0: talk a little bit about like sleepwalking, mm-hmm. and especially night terrors mm-hmm. for kids. Yeah. Um, because my oldest went through both. Um, it was only the one child. And it's terrifying as a mm-hmm. mom. You're like, do I wake her up? Do I soothe her back to bed? Mm-hmm. What is going on in their brains, especially like with sleepwalking, even with adults, just mm-hmm. like eating? There's mm-hmm. all kinds of stuff.
1: Yes, yes. So these are called disorders of arousal, they're called parasomnias, um, abnormal behaviors and emotional experiences that happen surrounding uh, sleep and wake. And so classically, these present in um, young children, uh, but adults can present with night terrors for the first time in their life as well, and sleepwalking. Um, But these disorders tend to present in younger ages. Um, they are probably genetically inherited, <clears throat> and what's happening is that there is a disordered arousal. So this is where the brain waves wake up, and um, behaviors emerge when normally they wouldn't. Right. Um, so people with night terrors will wake up um, and not really be awake. They'll look behaviorally awake, but not be conscious, mm. and so uh, and they're truly terrified. Mm. Uh, so um, most of these children cannot be consoled. And you really just have to wait it out, which is probably which is probably very scary as a parent. Yeah, Yeah. you Wake
0: them up, but you feel like they're exactly in a certain state that they're already really. Yes,
1: and when you do try to, you know, shake someone out of it, and this happens with sleepwalkers, uh, like you'll try to shake someone awake, the sleep, the the brain that's really still asleep is going to respond in a defensive way. Mm -hmm. It's going to feel threatened. And so it's much uh, more dangerous to actually really interact and shake someone awake. Much better to just allow the episode to go sort of pass on its own, make sure the person is safe, Mm -hmm. um, but not get too close and not really scream at them or shake them uh, because um, people can get hurt.
0: That's very good to know. Mm -hmm. Um I know you were mentioning night terrors in adults. Is that same thing as a nightmare then or what is a
1: nightmare? No, terror so 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 night terrors and confusional arousals and sleepwalking are all are all occurring during non-REM sleep, deep non-REM or what we call delta sleep, okay. also known as slow wave sleep. And so these are disorders where the brain is waking up and acting out mm-hmm. during non-REM sleep. A nightmare comes from REM sleep. I
0: see. And it's easy so to wake up from it.
1: Yes, and, and uh, people with nightmares therefore remember that, dr- that imagery. Right. Whereas people from, uh, who have night terrors and sleepwalking tend to have little, if any, recollection of what happened the night before. Oh, wow. So, people with nightmares, because of the way dreaming happens in such an elaborate way mm-hmm. in REM, when they do wake up from a nightmare, they remember a lot of it.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, I know there's not a lot of research about dreams, but I'm, I'm wondering, I want to pick your brain. Is dreaming? Has something? Does it have something to do with the whole sleep? Is it just like an insignificant thing that we do in REM, or what do you think about? Yeah, dreaming? well, well,
1: dreaming is is um, part and parcel of REM sleep, mm-hmm. and it has to do with the physiology of the way REM sleep is constructed, with a lot with a lot of uh, brain activity that is very close to uh, to wakefulness, right. um, and a lot of uh, emotional um, component yeah. to it as well. Yeah. Um, and so dreaming is something that's still very poorly understood, yeah. um, and uh, it's uh, a manifestation of the memory um, sort of consolidation that happens during, uh, primarily during REM sleep.
0: Very, very interesting. Um, I want to go back and talk about circadian, circadian rhythm disorder, so people that have maybe jet lag, the time change, or shift work, mm-hmm. something like that. Is that a disorder that you can get just from
1: that? Yes, so circadian rhythm disorders, again there's a group of them. Mm-hmm. These are disorders where the timing of sleep is abnormal. Okay. So jet lag is sort of a transient example of that. Um, when we travel across multiple time zones and the timing of sleep therefore has to be adjusted but our brains work on, our, on a circadian rhythm. Our yeah. brains and bodies have multiple clocks in our, in our bodies and our brains that regulate processes. And mm-hmm. so traveling across multiple time zones uh, makes it really challenging to acclimate quickly mm-hmm. and adopt the new time zone. So that's really what jet lag is. Yeah. Um, shift work also is, is a circadian rhythm disorder uh, when people are chronically working a night shift and really our brains should be sleeping on nights, that can pose uh, problems with performance because mm-hmm. people don't sleep as well during the daytime hours as right. they would during uh, the night. Um, the other circadian rhythm disorders, uh, one is called advanced sleep phase and delayed sleep phase. So the delayed sleep phase is sort of the night owl. Oh. This presents in usually teens and young adults. Um, these are people who probably have genetic, um, some genetic tendency to have altered timing of sleep, which can become a huge problem. You know, if you're 25 years old, you graduate from college, get your first job but your brain will not let you fall asleep before 3 in the morning, and it wants to sleep till 11 o'clock the next day. Right. Uh, so these are disorders that have to do with the timing of sleep more so than the quality of sleep, like okay. sleep apnea.
0: Okay, when their brains are actually shutting off. So um, I've read that it, if it takes you less than 10 to 15 minutes to fall asleep and you put your head on the pillow, you're sleep-deprived.
1: That's probably true most of the time. Because for in normal sleep, Pattern studies, it takes 10 or 15 minutes usually for, for an adult to fall asleep. Mm-hmm. And so if, if you're hitting the pillow and you're out like a light on a regular basis, you are probably sleep deprived.
0: Okay, so if I feel like I may have something wrong with my sleep, but you can't really remember, you're always in the limbo stage of sleeping anyways, is um, a sleep diary a smart thing to do, and if you can explain what a sleep diary is and how it should be used.
1: Yeah, so there's many ways to log sleep. So Mm -hmm. traditionally, we've used diaries. People will keep a journal and make notes. So write down, you know, when I went to bed last night, when I woke up, did I take a nap, how many times did I wake up? Um, That kind of chronic um, journaling Mm -hmm. is very useful when we have um, trouble diagnosing disorders like circadian rhythm disorders Mm -hmm. that tend to be disorders that... uh, need to be diagnosed by understanding sleep over a long period of time, Mm -hmm. as opposed to doing a sleep study one night and diagnosing sleep apnea, for example. Um, Now with sleep trackers and Fitbits and all kinds of ways to track sleep- It
0: tells you how long you've been on REM, if you're deep- Yeah,
1: yeah. So people are now using these to help track their sleep. There are some studies that are suggesting a reasonable correlation between data on a Fitbit, for example. and to, uh, compared to a sleep lab study, mm-hmm. but not really great correlations yet. So I okay. think this is an early area of sleep research. We need to do a lot more work on this. Okay. But what's great about tracking is that um, m- more and more people are doing it because they're recognizing that sleep is as important as diet and exercise. Yes, it's a triad. Absolutely. And you really can't have wellness well, without, without all three. And you really can't have good nutrition Without sleep, because sleep actually regulates a lot of aspects of the microbiome and our dietary choices and our digestion. So they are really connected. And so it's great to see that people are, like, watching their data. Um, We don't always have good answers for them when they bring their Fitbit data to the sleep clinic. Yeah. Uh, but still, it's important that it's becoming on the radar screen for, right. for good health.
0: Right, right. That's good. And uh, sleep deprivation can cause weight gain as well. Yes. and It can cause you to crave junk yes. food, which we already crave yes. all the
1: time. So you're becoming a sleep expert. <laughs> yes, a
0: little bit. <laughs> Um, OK, so how to get a diagnosis, take my sleep diary, go see a specialist and get a sleep test. Is that how it depends smart? on
1: the di- it depends on the disorder. Okay. So for insomnia, there's no need for a sleep test. It's a clinical diagnosis. We love sleep diaries to yeah. complement yeah. and we can make that diagnosis in the sleep clinic with an, uh, an interview like right. we're talking right now. Yeah. Um, for sleep apnea, you need a sleep test. Um, for other disorders like uh, narcolepsy, you need more than a, a simple sleep test. You okay. need an overnight study with a daytime study okay. uh, that monitors nighttime sleep and then tendency to fall asleep during the day. So what's really important, I think, about this question is that there are many different types of sleep disorders, and there's not one size fits all for a test. Mm-hmm. And when people come to sleep disorder centers, they should expect to really have their testing tailored to their problem.
0: Sure, And we do that here at the Cleveland Clinic. Yes, so we do. Okay, great. Now I want to talk about medical treatments. Um, I've I've read quite a bit about melatonin. You know, it's you know it's right off the counter. You can just get it mm-hmm. from like CVS. But before you go snatching up like Ambiens and things like that, I've heard really scary side effects. Yes. What do you think about that? Because it kind of sounds like counterintuitive. Yes. A sleeping pill.
1: Yes. So. Insomnia is, uh, affects 30% of the population. So at any given time in one's life, there's um, there met, you know majority of people have had some sleep, sleepless nights and reached for Benadryl over-the-counter and Unisom and all of these products that are over-the-counter, melatonin, and asked their doctors for sleep aids. Um, several big studies and meta-analyses have shown that behavioral therapy, what we call cognitive behavioral therapy, works better or as well. As sleeping pills but works better and longer and of course without the side effects
0: okay go ahead and tell us what it is what is cognitive so
1: this is cbti cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia Mm -hmm. is essentially a form of behavioral therapy for sleep disorders and so there are behavioral sleep medicine specialists we've got one in our group who's a psychologist and she specializes in this and behavioral sleep medicine experts use behavioral strategies psychological treatments Mm -hmm. to treat sleep disorders um, so for example, the insomniac who lays in bed until they get so frustrated that they're crying because yeah. they're so frustrated by not being able to sleep. Um, there's a simple therapy called sleep restriction therapy. We, do, we, we ask people to not lay in bed awake mm-hmm. uh, because the bed should be a pleasant place to be. And when we get into bed at night and crawl under the covers, we should be feeling happy and sleepy, yeah. right? Yeah. Like yeah. a sleep is coming. Right. Um, if when that happens, the brain is wide awake, worrying and ruminating and wondering, when am I going to go to sleep and counting sheep and being very active and frustrated, it's not the place to be. You need to get out of bed, wind down and get back into bed. And so that's just one example of a behavioral strategy that works very, very well um, for chronic insomniacs Mm -hmm. that probably works better than Ambien.
0: Good, good. That's, that's excellent. So, um, how about something like meditation? How about, um, Pink noise. Yes. Any of that stuff you think would help as well? Is that a part of the therapy? Yes, and
1: that's part of the therapy. Okay. So another example is progressive muscle relaxation, teaching people to meditate and relax their muscles at night. That's another therapy. Another part of cognitive behavioral therapy is making sure that your bedroom is conducive to sleep. Yes. So whether it's the noise, the temperature, the bedding, the pillow, uh, the bed partner, the baby, the 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 dog in the bed. (laughs) I mean, all of these, you know, the coffee cup or whatever, the Diet Coke at the bedside, all of these things are things that promote bad sleep hygiene, and some of us can get away with it. Yeah. I mean, some, some of us are good sleepers, right. and we can sleep through a lot, yeah. uh, but people who are insomniacs cannot, and so they really have to pay attention to the bedroom environment, and that's called part, That's what part sleep hygiene is.
0: Okay, so light sleeper versus deep sleeper. If I'm a light sleeper, does that mean something is wrong with me, or is this just how I'm wired?
1: It may simply be that that's how you're wired. Okay. It may be though that you have a mild form of insomnia okay. and it really hasn't been diagnosed um, and so but light sleepers are going to be more likely to be disrupted by things in the environment and have yeah. to pay more attention to. And I think also that.
0: having little kids at home I hear yeah I mean, if there's any movement I tend to wake up more. Yes. I think it's since I've been a mother that's happened. Yes and let's talk a little bit about the importance of diet and exercise for sleep.
1: Yes, yes. Uh, And so, again, these things are sort of intimately connected, and we're just now learning about how nutrition and digestion relates with sleep. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that's another area of sleep research that's in its infancy. Uh, But there's no doubt about it that when we eat too late Mm -hmm. and when we exercise too late, close to bedtime, uh, those things will disrupt sleep. And so eating healthy uh, is important, and not eating after probably 8 o'clock at night. Some people actually do those Twelve-hour fasts now, which yes. which um, are healthy. Yes. Um, in terms of exercise, exercise is really good to promote good sleep for insomniacs, but it needs to be done early in the day. Okay. Uh, it can't be that you're on your treadmill at you know seven, eight, nine o'clock. It gets you go- It yeah. gets you going. Mm-hmm. So
0: with diet and obviously um, avoid caffeine, maybe like spicy food, things mm-hmm. are heavy, alcohol. Mm-hmm. Um, is there high, any carbs. Kind of high carbs. High mm-hmm. carbs. Okay. So, is there any kind of food that you should go for that makes you sleepier or puts you to I heard seafood or some kind of fish can make you more sleepy. Yeah, better. I'm
1: not sure there's any no? research. <laughs> I'm not sure there's any research on that. Yeah. Um, but I think nowadays people are going toward, you know, um, chamomile and teas that yes. are non caffeinated, that are soothing. Uh, and that's all part of sort of the building a sleep ritual. Yeah. So, if you have trouble sleeping, it's really important to. Give yourself that wind-down time. So, you know, I used to sit in bed on my laptop, like, up to the very minute I wanted to go to sleep. Mm -hmm. Um, As you get older, you find that you can't do that as readily. You know, some people can. Um, But anyway, it's healthy to um, stop what we're doing. Like, let our day, you know, our work day end a couple hours before bedtime and give ourselves the luxury of having some wind-down time. And that might be, you know, having tea, a hot bath. Um, getting into your favorite pajamas, you know, getting your good book going. Um, these things are not important or necessary for some people who are great sleepers. Uh, but invariably, as we get older, you know, all of our sleep rhythms tend to get a little bit more fragile. Yeah. And so they become it, it really becomes important to have a sort of a ritual around falling asleep.
0: OK, one last question for you. Before I let you go. Um, how long should the wind down time be? Like, if you're gonna go read a book, you're gonna meditate, you're gonna take a warm bath. How long should you give yourself before you sleep?
1: You know, for me, it's ten fifteen minutes. Oh, okay. For me, for me, it's not long. (laughs) Uh, but there are insomniacs who really have to work hard at this, and you know, decide I'm gonna put you know I'm gonna do my worry journal. This Mm -hmm. is another good one for insomniacs. Yeah. So, so insomniacs tend to when they're awake at night they tend to ruminate and start thinking about so. I'm awake. Going so on. what's gonna happen tomorrow? Yeah. What do I what do I have to do tomorrow? How am I gonna feel I'm gonna feel so bad tomorrow? And so one of the other strategies of cognitive behavioral therapy is to, if you're a worrier at night and that's affecting your sleep, is to work on that during the day. And so we used to call it a worry journal. Like, you know, write it, make, it out. Make yeah, write, write it out. Make, in make the middle notes of the night
0: you wake up, you're worried about something, write it out and you'll read it in the morning.
1: This is something better to do during the day. Oh so like if you're it's like planning your next day. You I don't see. plan your next day in bed at ten yeah. o'clock at night. Better to plan it a few hours earlier. If you need to plan, you know, write down some things that are bothering you or make your list of things to do, don't do that right before bedtime. Okay,
0: great. All right. Well, we're out of time. Thank you so much for, for coming back and, and speaking oh, to us. Oh, you're this welcome. very, very important information. It was fun. I'm sure we'll do it again. <laughs> Thank you. It was fun. Thank you. And for more information or to make an appointment, uh, call 866-588-2264, or you can visit www.clevelandclinic.org slash sleep. And to listen to more of our Health Essentials podcast from our Cleveland Clinic experts, make sure you go to clevelandclinic.org slash H-E podcast, or you can subscribe on iTunes or Spotify. And for more health tips, news, and information, don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, and Instagram at Cleveland Clinic, just one word. Thank you. We'll see you again next time. This concludes this Cleveland Clinic Health Essentials podcast. Thank you for listening. Join us again soon.